Thursday edition of Smith & Jones. Eric Smith, Paul Jones with you. Make sure you subscribe to Smith & Jones wherever you get your podcast. Please rate and review as well. And, uh, well, it's turned a little bit chilly again today, but uh, we're starting to warm up for the game tomorrow night for the Toronto Raptors as they are back in action post-All-Star break and uh, the season returning with a vengeance for the Raptors as they will have a very busy schedule, Jonesy, over the course of the next uh, four or five days. Again, with that first game coming up tomorrow night against the Charlotte Hornets, a back-to-back playing in Atlanta on Saturday night before a game, or excuse me, a day off on Sunday, and then another back-to-back on Monday, Tuesday against the Brooklyn Nets. So it's going to come fast and furious, and well... They won't see him on Friday or Saturday, but they'll see him twice, as I mentioned, on Monday, Tuesday. Former Raptor, all but for a cup of coffee, I suppose, Goran Dragic and the Brooklyn Nets uh, in a home-at-home on Monday and Tuesday uh, in Brooklyn and then back here in Toronto, which also will be the first game with fans in essentially two months, and we go from nothing to everything. <laughs> so so it's coming fast and furious in a whole lot of different ways for the Raptors over the next few days. Yeah. Um, it, it, uh, but it's good to get back at it, isn't it, E, uh, after yeah. the break? Um, especially, I mean, we've been able to uh, have a ride that took us right to the top of the mountain that, that didn't end. You were the last person off the ride. So uh, it's just it's just a cool time of the year. I mean, for me, as you talk about the weather getting chilly, oh my goodness, I'm just, I feel like a boxer getting battered against the ropes. And I look up and I look up, it's like, what? There's still 45 seconds left in the round? <laughs> like, I got to do something here. And, and it, it's a great time of the year. My, my, uh, uh, my, my son uh, is, is counting it down. He's become, the, the, my youngest child has become like me. I failed with the other two, but the youngest one, I, I got one. He's a golf nut. And he's counting down the days to spring. You know, he knows. He says, you know, hey, hey, Dad, it's it's 25 days till the first day of spring and 43 days till the Masters. And I'm thinking like, <laughs> and then we get warm weather, right? And then we get warm weather. Because that's that's a great time. You know, you get into that time when the weather starts to get warm. You know you're getting close to the playoffs and, you know, the NHL. Uh, hopefully the start of baseball, but... To me, there's nothing like the NBA playoffs. They're, they're just nothing like grown men playing for a ring. And it's not money. They've got all their money from the regular season. Yeah, you get bonus money for each round of the playoffs you win, but it's, it's pocket change compared to you know, what, what you make and your regular salary for the, for the uh, stars in the league and the competition, um, what they put out to try and win to say that I'm the last guy standing. We're the last team standing. Is terrific, and um, we we've had that ride, E. We've had that ride, man. And uh, I, I don't know if we're going to get it again, but I look forward to watching it happen for you know for maybe for the Raptors, but certainly around the league every year. Hey Jonesy, I'll say this: there are no guarantees in life. We all know that it's cliche, but it's true. We're going to have that ride again. I don't know if it's going to come this year. But the Raptor fan base is going to have that ride again. This is it, it, it's it's going to happen. It's going to happen. It'll 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 happen in our lifetimes. It's going to happen. I have the faith. You know me. Not always the most optimistic. I like to say I'm realistic, but I truly believe 
it's going to happen again. I, I think between ownership and management and the core players and this type of team with its fan base and the, the available money that's there to spend, ownership's commitment to spending money over the years as well, et cetera. Uh, and I also think, and I, I didn't even know if we would go here, but just you talking about it makes my, my, my brain wheel start spinning a little bit. As much as the organization has um, lost money or at the least not made a whole lot of money over the last two years, um, I think you have to spend in order to make. Uh, I mean, that's my mentality at least. Uh, and I think that maybe, maybe there will be even more of a commitment to spend a little bit in the coming years because you're trying to make sure that you um, keep the fan base and, and keep the juices flowing because there's a whole lot of competition coming too. Like I don't think if you're the Raptors or the NBA or basketball in general, you need to be looking over your shoulder by any means. But there's a lot of competition for the dollar out there, right? And with the rise uh, of, of, of soccer and the national program and of soccer programs in general in this country, and you think about the rise of, of women's sports as well, the chatter that continues, uh, and rightfully so, about the WNBA. And by the way, I've still got my money on the table. If Drake wants to step up and pay for 99% of it, I'm in for the other 1%, or you and I and a whole bunch of other people can be in for the other 1%. But the WNBA potentially coming here, Jonesy, I think if you're the Raptors going forward, it's imperative that you stay competitive on the court. And how do you stay competitive? Well, yeah, it's talent, but it's also sometimes having to spend on that talent too and make sure that you stay relevant in the in the minds of the sports fan that's growing up and that's watching or listening or, or attending live and in person as well. Yeah, I agree. Um, and he, I, I, that's, a, that's a bold statement coming from you um, as, a, as a guy who's I, – I, uh, how do I categorize you? As you do, a realist. That's a, that's a bold statement coming from you. And I, I believe it too. I believe it too that the Raptor fans are going to get that ride again. Uh, they, they, and that's, that's the thing with, the, uh, with fan bases, Ian. That's where expectations come from. And I just think back to um, who was it that asked us? John Thomas asked us last week, how long you've been working with Eric when he revealed to us that the average Timberwolf player the tenure time is what, 1.9 years or something like that? I was shocked by that. Yeah, 1.9. Yeah. I was, yeah. I was, I had to sit down. I mean, I mean, that's, that's, that's not even two seasons. Hi, thanks. Thanks for coming. All right. After first year, we'll see you later. Um, but when he asked uh, how long we've been working together, and I thought about it, um, it's been a long time. Uh, I don't know if there's two guys that have worked together longer doing Raptor broadcast in the history of the team. And I remember those days, Eric, when we there used hasn't to, Jonesy, there uh, hasn't. Well, <laughs> no, there you go. Um, I remember those days we used to stand at Lord Stanley's mug when it was called uh, the Air Canada Center and and take calls in the post game and then stand behind the window at what now is sport check used to be real sports apparel uh, across the across the street from the statues at uh, Scotiabank Arena now in, in the glass bubble doing post game and mm-hmm. and we would talk to people would call in and talk about the Raptors just do you think they can get to six? They're in eighth right now. Do you think they can get as high as six? And well, maybe. And Bob, and talking about the climb that this team had to make and what they needed to do to improve. And you know, you you steady as she goes, man. You put one foot in front of the other, and you put your head down into the wind and the snow, and you just you keep you keep plowing forward. And this team eventually did it. And I agree. I I think once the fans got a taste of it. 
there's no turning back. You you can't unring a bell. You, 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 it, it doesn't happen. And so yeah. they've had that taste. They want it again. The organization wants it again. The expectations are out there again. So I agree with you. I, I just I just want to be around to see it. That's all. I, and I know how how difficult it is and how much luck you need to have. But uh, I'm with you, man. I really think it's going to happen again at some point. All right. So So a couple of things. One, I hadn't even thought about it, Jonesy, until you mentioned it last week with John Thomas. And, and, and folks, I apologize if it sounds like, you know, uh, 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 um, braggish or, or arrogant or something. But it, it is kind of cool to think about, uh, you know, a little feather in the cap for, for you and I. And it's something to be proud of, period. But when you brought it up, I thought, man, hold on a second. And I started, you know, pulling out the fingers and toes and whatnot and, and, and counting. When we think about the great John Saunders and Leo Routens and then the pairing of, of Chuck Swirsky and Leo Routens and Matt Devlin and Jack Armstrong and Matt and Leo and um, um, Chuck and Jack back in the radio days as well. Uh, you and Mike Inglis in the original few, few few years. You and I, Smith and Jones, Jones and Smith, we've been together. 17th season, I believe, this year. 16th or 17th. I've, I've, I've lost counting. track. Yeah, I've lost yeah. track. I know we're approaching 20, and that's 100%. On that. yeah, we, yeah, that is 100% yeah. the longest uh, pairing. And, uh, man, I hope we make it to 20, 25, 30. Uh, and, and, and if we make it that long, Jonesy, I'm telling you, you're going to see it. I don't know when I'm dying or when you're going, but I, I feel like we're going to see it again in our lifetime. I really do. I really do believe uh, in, in what this team can ultimately do, what this organization can do. So I, I, I firmly believe that we're going to see it again. I can't tell you it's going to be in three years. I can't tell you it's going to be in 13 years. But I do believe if you are a Raptor fan right now, you are going to see it again. And I'm looking forward to having the fans back. I hope people are going to be smart and yeah. safe and responsible and everything else about it, but I'm looking forward to having the fans back in the building and, and seeing what this stretch drive looks like. And to be clear, too, I mentioned the Raptors not returning to action tomorrow. The NBA does return tonight. There are games on the sked tonight, seven, in fact, uh, games going this evening. So for the Raptors, it's an extra day off, but uh, some, some games tonight, big one between Boston and Brooklyn. Uh, Atlanta trying to make their push up the standing, see if they can get back uh, into that you know more solidified playoff conversation. They're playing the Bulls. Uh, Memphis and Minnesota. Uh, later on tonight, Denver and Sacramento as the Kings are a team that want to try and push themselves back into at least that play-in chatter. So lots to talk about, lots to get into over these final 25-odd games of the season. Um, but, Jones, here we are talking about the passion of the Raptor fan base and, and, and going for another championship, when that may come, et cetera. Do you want to start, like, with the negative or the positive? Or do you want to start on, like, the sour note or the high note? Which What, what are you feeling? Give me the bad stuff I got stuff two things. All right, the I, I'm the same way. The I'd rather, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's like it's – like, it's like taking the Oreo cookie and, 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 and eating the icing first. No, 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 no. Eat the icing last. Save the good stuff for last, right? All right, so yeah. here's the deal. Here's the deal. Goran Dragic, we'll start with the bad stuff, I guess, if it's even fair to call it bad stuff. But I don't even really understand to this second what truly went down with Goran Dragic. And even after hearing his answer, his explanation, his assessment of things with Toronto when he met with the media in Brooklyn yesterday, I'm still confused. We're going to play it for you right now. Then we can break it down afterwards. And I think part of what he said is maybe a little bit lost in translation, like some of the words he uses or chose to use. I'm not sure if 
you know, and I say this 1,000% respectfully, I'm not saying this in a derogatory way, if English was the first language, maybe he would have chose different words, so I think part of it is lost in translation, because I'm confused by even how he assessed his very brief time in Toronto. Here's uh, Brooklyn Net, Goran Dragic. <laughs> I mean, it's, uh, it's been a you know, unique situation this year for me. Um, unfortunately, we, we couldn't get along in in Toronto, they they said they, they want to go young, and um, they didn't see, um, you know, they didn't see me um, to be part of that team. So in the end, um, they were they were really correct towards me. You know, um, we talk, and they said, look, we're gonna um, trade you and do what's best for your career. And yeah, we kind of uh, agreed that you know I go home to be with my family, with my kids until everything resolves and. It did. So, you know, I don't have no hard feelings towards them. You know, uh, Bobby and Masai, they uh, they were really, um, you know, correct towards me. They they told me what they're gonna do, and they did. So, uh, you know, I wish them all the best. Um, you know, we're gonna play against them twice in the next week, so <laughs> it's gonna be interesting. So, Jonesy, here's why I said part of lost in translation. When he says we couldn't get along, I don't think he meant it that way as in they couldn't, like they weren't seeing eye to eye or, or that there was animosity. I don't believe that was the case. So I don't believe, again, the correct words were potentially used there. Maybe they were. Maybe they were. But, again, I, I, my gut says he didn't intend it that way as in we couldn't get along or there was, there was strife, there was, there was angst between the two of them. But then later when he said they didn't see me as part of their team, uh, they wanted to go young. They traded you for a vet in Thaddeus Young. I, I, I don't know. They, they, they gave you a chance when the season started to start. Like, I think we're still getting one side of the story here. Like, they let me go home to be with my kids. I thought part of the story we've heard over the last couple of months was that there actually maybe was something. And again, if it's personal and he doesn't want to reveal, that's his choice. But there was chatter about something that actually might have been legitimately going on in his personal life or in his family life that he wanted to tend to. I got to think, though, Jonesy, again, we did not hear the full story still. There's, there's another part of this that has to be, I would assume, maybe I'm wrong in assuming, but assuming that he did not want to necessarily be part of this or didn't love yeah. the off-the-bench role or, or again, going back to the beginning of the season, thinking he's going to be on a young, struggling team that's not going to go anywhere, and then all of a sudden the dust settles 50, 60 games in and suddenly they're a playoff team. Like, I, I, I didn't love it yesterday. I don't think that the angst is out, that, that, that is out there in Raptorland is is necessarily as deserved for, uh, for for Dragic as it is for others. Like, I think people have gone a little bit too far in the hate for Dragic, who was barely here for a cup of coffee. But, again, I, I didn't love everything that we just heard there, and I still feel like there's a heck of a lot more to all of this than what we actually know. There is, he, and there always is. Uh, and unless you are one of the, the direct parties involved, uh, including guys on the team. I'm sure some guys in the locker room don't know everything that's, that's going on. It's kind of none of their business. They've got their, their, their head down, focused in their own lane. So I, I don't think we'll ever know everything, all the ins and outs. But, you know, uh, you know safe to say from uh, what he was saying, and, you know, we haven't heard anything from Raptor front office, Raptor brass, but safe to say that, you know, they, they tried him early and they, they said, listen, you, you know, you, you're going to play here, but you're not going to play as much as you want. We're, we're in a different phase of our development 
as opposed to where you are in your career. And here's how it is. And, and maybe he didn't, maybe he was like, well, okay, well, get me out of here when you can, because I really want a chance to win a championship. Now, I kind of think if he'd been here with the same guy that not, you know, 10 years ago, but just a couple seasons ago, the same guy that competed for Miami in the bubble, he'd have been able to help this team. And I know that's what I was looking forward to uh, in, in, in seeing him. And I, I mean, I said it right off the top. I thought that was a, the best starting lineup at the beginning of the year with him in there with Fred. You had two decision makers, two ball handlers, two guys who could score. And, I mean, it didn't take Nick Nurse long to pull the trigger. But then again, a coach knows his team better than anybody else. He inserts Gary Trent Jr. And that's it for Dragic. Like, mm-hmm. and, and like I said, I don't think we'll ever, we'll ever know the whole story. We get uh, selective bits and pieces, what they want us to hear. Maybe that is the whole story. Maybe there's, there's, there's not any more to it. And... Uh, we've got the we've got the macro picture, but the, the the micro details about what was said and how they were handling this part of the situation or that part of the situation, we'll never be privy to. So you know what? It's something you can't change or you have no control over. So you you just move on. And for Raptor fans to all oh, you know hate on Dragic, you got to understand people are at different stages of their career. It just the way it is. So you just kind of let it go. I mean, it's not like you, from everything you hear, it's not like he was a bad guy in the locker room and, you know, you couldn't get along. I was told at the start of training camp even, there were there were drills and uh, times when the vets were allowed to sit. And he was like, no, 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 I'll, I'm, I'll get in the drill. I want to do this. So I, 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 you just never know. So you can't pass 100% judgment. You can pass your opinion or judgment on what you see or what is out there in the public. But just rest assured, folks, there's always, always, always more to it. Yep. Nope. Well said, Jonesy. Well said. All right. So we started with the, with the well, negative or at least not as much positive. Um, let's bring it back to a guy that we know a whole heck of a lot more about. Hey, is there other stuff off the court in the personal life that we don't know about? Absolutely. And should we know about it? No. People should have their lives still. But we know a lot, Jonesy, about DeMar DeRozan. Raptor fans know about DeRozan here for almost a decade. And wanted to play a portion of this for you right now. DeMar DeRozan with our guy Frankie Ice, Frank Isola, on NBA Radio. And one of the topics that was discussed over the course of their conversation and it's it, it's going to probably be with DeRozan forever, forever. His ties to Toronto, his time in Toronto, his bond with the city of Toronto. Here's DeMar DeRozan. It was emotional. Um, it still is. Even when I go back, you know, um, and see the the attention, everything I get from the city is just beyond amazing. You know, and for me, um, I was 19 when I when I went. You know, yeah. everything throughout my adulthood I became in Toronto. You know, so I credit so much to that city, to that country, because they allowed me to be me. And I took a part of them with me, you know, and we grew and, and had success together, failure, fail, failures together. And, you know, it just created a bond that would never be broken. 
And Jonesy, we've heard DeMar say stuff similar to that in the past, but again, this is always going to be with him. He'll always be asked about Toronto. I still maintain and hope that he has a chance to come back to Toronto uh, before the career ends, maybe even retire as a Raptor, even if it's like that that token one-day contract or something, because uh, he's synonymous with, with Raptor history and, and with what he did in that Raptor uniform for so long. And I guess that's where, when you draw the parallels of the comparisons to a guy like Goran Dragic, fair or otherwise... I think we see as, as, and I'm trying to speak on behalf of the Raptor fan base here, we see guys that, that either came in the past or still come to this day, and for whatever reason, if it's still, and I can't imagine it is, but if it's still the bogus, ridiculous BS of, of the border or the taxes or the money or the weather or whatever, and just looking at the city, the building, the training facility, the organization, the management, the coaches, the fans, the passion, the interest, the 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 experience overall of everything tied in, and think about how glowingly, you know, whether it's DeMar DeRozan or yes, even Vince Carter or Alvin Williams or Kyle Lowry or the current like Fred Van Bleet or Pascal Siakam, all these people that have nothing but great things to say, and and most of the players that come here, even as visitors that love it, it's it. I guess that's where it stings a little bit more when you get those folks that might say a bad word or that don't have positive things to say or don't share in that same experience or that same viewpoint or that same thought process. Because you're thinking like, well, hold on, if if a guy can be here for almost ten years and, and recognize all this, how come you can't be here for ten days or ten weeks or ten months and recognize the same thing? Uh, I think it's. I don't know if it's inferiority or if it's just the the simple human nature of. I go back to the old, you know, Seinfeld episode. You know, wanting to be loved. How could you not love Jerry? You know, <laughs> how can you not like Jerry? Everybody wants to be liked, loved, appreciated. At the end of the day, even a fan base in a city, you want to be liked, loved, and appreciated. And Demar has never had anything but great things to say about his time here. And, and how can you not, Eric? And like you said, the, the Seinfeld episode. And I remember, hey, uh, being part of the, you know, uh, being part of things when they hit the ground in Toronto. And listen, uh, he's he's polarizing in a lot of people's eyes. And uh, they, they didn't like Isaiah Thomas, but he realized what Toronto was. Let's face it. He realized that. Actually literally went door to door, knocking on people's doors uh, to get season tickets. He had that, that kind of vision. He and John Bitov. Let's cater to the young fan. Uh, start the games at 7 o'clock. All the Sunday games will be at noon or 1 o'clock. Uh, we're not going to get this area of the fan base, but let's get the next area. Let's get the next era of the fan base. And he brought guys to Toronto. And I, guarantee, I, I, I guaranteed people, I said, when guys come here, they may come here kicking and screaming, but when they get here, they're going to love it. And I, I knew that from as a kid spending my summers and, and all my holiday time in New York with my family. And the difference, both Mark and I had that luxury of growing up on both sides of the border. And I said, oh, don't worry. People are going to love it when they come here. And I'm with you. you. You tell me one guy that came here. And like I said, even though he came kicking and screaming and then... When he left, was like, man, that was really good, man. There's some great people up there. What a great city. I mean, DeMar talked about, he still talks about he's never felt cold like he felt in Toronto. Don't tell me it's not that cold in Chicago. It was just the first time for you coming from Compton, California. And 
you know, I tell the story all the time. Mark Eversley, now the GM of the Bulls, coming down to the media room when it was all over. The draft was over. And it was like, I it was like 20 after 12. E, you and I were two of the last two out. We were doing hits from the draft, from the media room for the draft on, on 590 and recording them and sending them in and going live with it, whoever the host was. And we were packing up and leaving. And Mark Eversley said, we got our guy. We're gonna you you're gonna love this kid. We're gonna make him a pro, man. He's gonna be an all star. Have a have a ten year career, and and you know we kind of nod our head and internally give the eye roll like, oh my God, here's another GM saying we got our guy. Like, you know, we won the draft. Like, oh please, give me a break. Like, let's just wait and see. And he was right. And look at what look at what the Raptor fan base had in Demar. So, um, you know, and he says that, and it always resonates with me. It always strikes a chord when he said, you know, I, I went to Toronto and I love the country. Look at Kyle Lowry. Just you name a guy. Like I go back 25 years and I can pull names out of the hat of guys I see. Tracy Murray in Las Vegas at Summer League uh, still talks about the game when they beat the Bulls and the fans. And, you know, when we did our little features and stuff, taking him to the, to the museum. And E, what it is, is the Canadian culture. The fact that we don't really berate guys when they're not playing well yeah you know we hold them accountable or there might be things said but out and about in the city guys go out people leave them alone they they might come over and say hi i'm a big fan you know nowadays get a picture or whatever but it's done in a polite way it's not they don't roll up and jump into people's faces and in their space and stuff because i've been in the u.s around people and seen that happen and, and just shake my head and go are you kidding me? That's not how you treat people. So I, I, I think that's an advantage that we have up here. And like I said, I'm waiting for that list, that, that list of people, that players that came to Toronto and didn't like it, said, you know what? They might have wanted to leave, but for other reasons. It's not because they didn't like the people or the city or anything like that. So I, I think Toronto's a gem. And I told people, I said, you wait till this thing gets going. Toronto is going to be one of the top stops on the tour. And you and I sat in the locker room one night, uh, one night uh, with Paul Pierce. Remember that? And yep. he said, Toronto's yep. one of the top three on the circuit. And I'm thinking, I left the locker room going, okay, e, here's a guy who plays in Boston. He's from Los Angeles. So if those are one, two, and Toronto's three, who does that put him ahead of? <laughs> Everybody else in the league, the other 27. Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. uh, Toronto fans should take a bow. And I, I can't wait till the building gets full again, E, and it starts shaking from the foundation. It, it, is, it is just something that, uh, you know, like I said, in the toy department, it's something that is, is amazing. You know, playoff time, a playoff crowd, the let's go Raptors chance, the din, like the noise coming through our headsets, E. I go and have my hearing tested every summer. And every summer, my, my audiologist, my doctor says, uh, you've lost a little bit more of your midtones. You know, you should really turn your headset down. I'm like, dude, even if I wasn't wearing a headset, my ears would be ringing. You know? So well, there's just, nothing like it. Josie, you just got to be like me. Don't go. <laughs> and I'm not, hey, folks, be clear. I'm not advocating don't go to the doctor because, again, I'm one of the biggest hypochondriacs out there, no doubt about it, germaphobe, hypochondriac. But, Jonesy, maybe I shouldn't admit this publicly, after 25 years in, in radio and television, I've never been to an audiologist. I, I oh, probably e. shouldn't go. I probably e. shouldn't go. Come on. I'm telling you, Every I've never summer. been. 
I've never Every been. summer brother. Might have to get that number from you, man. I have to get hooked up with your doctor. E. Smith, look, if we're going to make it to 25 years, every <laughs> summer, brother, every summer I go, check the eyes, check the ears, check the throat. Good, good, good. All right, sign me up for another year. And yeah, you know, you know we're what? Lucky I, I need to, I need to follow to your lead it. then, I guess. <laughs> we're lucky to have it, E, and, and you know what? Just do what you can to try and... Keep it going. Come on, man. We ain't making it to like 25 or 50 years if you, what happened to Eric Smith? Well, you know, who? Eric Smith. He! <laughs> yeah, Jonesy. You'd be like, you know, that little cone to your ear. No, come on, yeah. man. You got to do that. I'll have a cone to my ear. I'll be licking my lips because I got no teeth. I'll be walking hunched over with my belt up down underneath my chest. What's that, Jonesy? <laughs> <laughs> All right. Um, actually, you know what? Uh, on a serious note, I was going to leave it right there, but I'm going to turn it back serious for one second and serious in a very, very good way. Uh, wanted to pass this along before we forgot to do so because this is a great story that came out just before we hit the air this morning. Talk about, um, you know, taking part in the city, in the country, becoming a quote-unquote citizen and part of the, the, the community in general and, and, and the bond that you have with your city, with your country, with your team and its fan base. Scotty Barnes, uh, doing it right, uh, announcing this morning that he has teamed up with Skill Trades College of Canada to provide scholarships for black and indigenous students. So uh, Skill Trades College and Scotty, have plans to award four scholarships annually over the next three years. The scholarships will cover not only the tuition, but all of the materials, including tools and textbooks. So good on Scotty Barnes, Jonesy, uh, for those scholarships that will be provided over the next three years, pairing up and partnering with Skill Trades College of Canada. And, and CE, that's, that's what I'm talking about. That's the culture. That's the, yeah, you draft a great player. You hope you draft a great player. But give me a good citizen. Give me a good dude. Uh, you know, people will remember the things you did for them and how, how you made them feel. You know, I, I love the line from assistant coach Adrian Griffin when in, as a coach or as a teacher. Nobody cares how much you know until you show them how much you care. And I, like the Raptors draft Scotty and he's doing this. You got a good citizen, man. You got, you got a guy who's endearing himself and immersing himself in the community. And that's, you know, that's what Toronto has become. Uh, a place that people love to be and, and give back to. And um, good for Scotty. You know, 20 years old. Hey, were you doing that at 20 years old? Man, I was looking for where my next dollar was coming from. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. No, absolutely. Good for him. Absolutely. Um, all right, we're going to step aside here for a moment. When we come back, we have spent a great deal of time over the course of this week, and rightfully so, understandably so, talking about uh, officiating. So we're going to bring on one of the best. Uh, 25 seasons in the NBA, former NBA ref, and now current officiating analyst for ABC ESPN, Steve Javi, will join us next on Smith & Jones. Covering the Raptors in depth like no one else. The Raptor Show with Will Lou. Subscribe and download the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Back on Smith & Jones, Eric Smith, Paul Jones with you. Subscribe to Smith & Jones. Wherever you get your podcast. please rate and review as well. 
Uh, Jones, we've had a, a great week thus far. Patrick Ewing joined us the other day. We chatted with Rick Barry as well. Uh, later on in the program today, we're going to hook up with Mitch Lawrence. Lots of NBA chatter over the course of this week, and uh, we want to look at it from a different lens as well, and not just NBA, but NCAA too, because we've been talking about officials quite a bit and something that you and I have done a lot in the past too uh you know Bob Delaney our friend we've had him on a bunch of times in, in the past even had him in studio um so again trying to look at things through a bit of a different lens as we get set for the final third of the season and uh, we're thrilled to bring into the conversation uh, 25 season in, in the NBA, uh, excuse me in the NBA a veteran official and now uh officiating analyst for ABC ESPN Steve Javi Steve thanks for the time today Hey, guys, thanks for having me. I appreciate it. Always good, Steve. Hey, Jonesy, Steve, how you doing, uh, all right? I'm good. I'm good. I'm good. I, I, I still, I, Eric and I, we need to get on your competition committee, man. We got a whole bunch of suggestions. You might throw them out the window, but we, we, got, <laughs> we got things we think that can help. <laughs> hey, I, I, got my, I got my pen and piece of paper here, brother. I got that. All right. All right. Jonesy, why don't you go ahead and start then? Maybe not, maybe not with your 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 suggestions, but with other stuff. Go ahead. <laughs> no, not not with not with my with my laundry list. And Steve, let no, me know, no. full dis, <laughs> full disclosure here. Eric and I say this, and and you've been in you've been between the lines. You've been not been uh, on that on the floor in that rectangle. I don't know if there's any uh, adjudicators, officials in any other sport that have a tougher job than basketball. And I'm talking about at any level just because of the nature of the game and it just gets magnified at the pro level with the size, speed of of, you know, the athletes. I mean, it's 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 got to be overwhelming at times, Steve. Just take us through some of your experiences uh, in a game. Like it's it's things happen so quickly. The only thing I can think of is an NFL official that in between plays, has to look for holding on every play. But there's so much going on on the basketball court. Yeah, Eric, before I answer the question, Eric, I think he's like trying to make it really nice for me, and he's going to hammer me. I mean, he's saying, hey, you guys have to feel Eric, am I right? Am I feeling that coming well, now or no? Yeah, a, a little bit, Steve. I will say this, though. Okay. Jonesy and I have been broadcasting the Raptor games together for, for 17 right. seasons we've been together. And I will tell you, Steve, I've got my guys back here. He has been saying for as long as we've been working together that basketball officials at all levels, but especially in the NBA, have it harder than any other sport. Because I've seen it, the, the social media, the fans that write in and go, Jonesy, how can, you say, how can you say that it's harder than hockey, the speed of hockey? Or how can you say it's harder than football trying to look at every single play? And Jonesy, is, he's on that hill, Steve, and he's going to die on it. That he says time and time again that basketball is the toughest. No, I, and I and I what guys, not just because I officiated, because I come from an officiating background. My father officiated in the NFL, and my godfather umpired uh, American League Baseball. So I see it from all different levels, and I truly believe that basketball officiating is the most difficult because you're officiating for you know the full game, the full sixty minutes. Football, if you think about it, football. I think they they even. Uh, they they did some kind of survey, not survey, but they uh, they refereed for maybe out of their um, I'm sorry, 48 minutes for me. I'm, I'm thinking football. 60 minutes in football. I think they refereed 13 minutes because the clock runs right. when plays aren't going on. In basketball, the clock stops when the whistle blows. It goes out of bounds. So you got to referee for the full 48 minutes. Um, and yeah, it, it is it is challenging. The one thing 
that people will never understand, and I know my father taught me this years ago, is that I'll never be able to explain to somebody else who has never officiated what it's like to officiate. Because everybody has these preconceived notions, well, the official thinks this way, he thinks that way. Believe me, when you're trained to be an official, and even, I mean, not just, I say we're all professional officials because whether it be college or pro, we're getting paid to do the job. So you're professional at it. And I, I truly believe that people don't understand that when we get between the lines, our job is to concentrate. The concentration level has to be such where you, you tone out. That doesn't mean you don't hear the fans. That doesn't mean you don't hear a comment. But you have to tone out, tone out all that stuff that prevents you from making the proper call. And if you can't do that, you're not going to succeed at the referee level. So when I tell you that uh, years ago, my boss would say, hey, you shouldn't care what anybody says except me and, and your partners, basically. It's like how you get along with your partners on the floor, interacting with them, and what your boss thinks of you, of how your, the job's doing. Other than that, you just have to focus. You have to concentrate. And it's um, at times... Can it be difficult? Sure, but it comes in training. It really does. And so it's hard to explain that to somebody because they say, nah, come on. You, you watch this guy, and you're thinking what a great player he is, uh, how good a game he had, how many points he had. No, we don't. We look at it totally differently. And until somebody really gets between the lines to referee, really it's hard to explain to them. So, so Steve, I'm, it's funny. I'm already looking at the clock, thinking we've got ten minutes, and I, I, I feel like we could have an entire hour. Uh, I don't know if you'd ever <laughs> want to do that, but we, there's so many questions. Um, I, I think what frustrates fans, and and listen, I'll, I'll I won't just throw it on the fans. It frustrates me from time to time as well. The perception, and I'm not saying it's the reality. The perception that seems to be there sometimes, where it's reputation calls, either pro or con. This guy got a call because of his rep as a star player. That guy got a whistle against him because he's got a rep of being a bad dude or a guy that's yapping all the time or a guy that, that has the, the, the theatrics and the histrionics and whatever else. How difficult is that to uh, push aside and to just keep it straight and narrow? Or how much of that does creep in from time to time? Right. Um uh, a couple things within that. I will say when it comes to officiating, block charge, foul, no foul, whatever it may be, uh, on the floor, uh, a person's reputation, the game is, as you had said, is so quick. You don't have the luxury of saying, well, that's, uh, you know, that's Eric Smith. You know, he's the star of the team. I'm not going to call a foul. Do we just have a fast breakdown the other end? You just missed the play. You have to make instantaneous decisions within two tenths, three tenths of a second, number one. Number two, if I intentionally do that, I am now putting my career at jeopardy of, say, advancing, because in this day and age of analytics, in this day and age of they, they are being evaluated on every call, every whistle, every non-whistle, that affects their, their rating of, like, where they go in the playoffs, which is extra money for their family. So if you think that I'm going to be enamored with a star player and take money out of my pocket, my family's pocket, you're crazy, number one. But number two, it is just too quick to do. But here's the other thing. But I'm going to go to the other side and saying about when we're talking about um, unsportsmanlike conduct, when we're talking about treating the referees, when we're talking about technical fouls, do, um, does somebody's past history have some? Certainly it does. If I have a person like uh, a Grant Hill, who I just admired immensely, say something to me, maybe even a little angry, uh, and I'd, sit there, I'd have to stand up and say to myself, wait a second. I must have missed this play. Hey, Grant, you know, I'll take a look. 
But if I have a person who's constantly an aggressive person who I've warned, I mean, over and over again, maybe during the game, come at me and do something where fans will say, that really wasn't much. Fans don't even know what has happened prior to this. Fans don't know the kind of person or relationship that people have and which is normal. And so will that affect it? Absolutely affect it. I mean, I'll be less apt to give Grant Hill a technical foul than than a player B over here who's just been a constant thorn in my side the whole game. I mean, so that's it. I think yeah. to, to be able to be, I, I separate the two of handling someone, how they treat you, and then also separate it from the kind of calls on the floor. Steve, you were one of the senior officials. And, you know, when I started doing this thing, you there was a, a number of you guys that um, – that always engaged in discussions with players and coaches around the league. And I'm thinking of the incident the other night with Bobby Hurley. I know it was at a different level, but right. how much how much discussion is there? I mean, does, do you go over to Bobby Hurley and go, come on, Bobby, you don't need to be whipping up the crowd like that. Like, come on. You know, like, where where do you... Where do you draw your own line? And as you just told us, it's a sliding scale between who it is, the situation, all of that. It's 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 all about, I guess, exercising your judgment, isn't it, Steve? It really, yeah, Jonesy, it really is. Um, you know what? There, I know when I was early in my career, you learn, you learn as you go along, and you gain. Hopefully, you gain some respect, but also you gain some knowledge. You've you've tried certain things that work, tried certain things that did not work, and you move on that way in your career. Um, with regard to situations i mean discussions and so on matter of fact i look at it now from the replay center the nba and i think there's too much discussion i think every play people are discussing i think you got players you got coaches every and you sit there and i go oh my gosh somebody just do something either walk away put your hand up say i'm not talking anymore or whatever it may be i just think uh, to me it gets uh, <laughs> it's tiresome out there it's a tough enough job to be able to try to get plays right, let alone trying to appease, and I hate to use that word, but you're trying to appease this player, that player, that coach. There comes a point in time in a game where even if you're not using the bad language, even if you're not screaming, that's enough. You can't question every time I make a call. I mean, the, you see it now, Jonesy and Eric, uh, during these games, sometimes a guy makes a call and there's two or three guys at the you know 28-foot mark just talking to the guy, and the guy's talking to this guy first, talking to that I mean, wow, it's one thing mm-hmm. to be able to give them an explanation, which most of the time they're not going to like. Um, it's one thing to give an explanation and be courteous, but it's another thing also to say, you know what, I- I'm sorry. Right now, I just have to concentrate on this game. And if my concentration, you know, goes by the wayside, all of a sudden I'm not going to get too many plays right. Speaking with Steve Javi, veteran official, 25 years in the NBA, officiating analyst now with uh, ABC ESPN. Steve, one of the other things that comes up as well often, right, wrong, or otherwise, is consistency uh, and the consistency of the call from official to official, crew to crew, game to game. How difficult is that, was that, um, when you when you have – and Jonesy, you and I have said it. We might be wrong in our assessment, but Steve will watch one game and think, well, what we saw last night might not be the same tonight because what was called last night doesn't seem to be called tonight. It's, it, is that just human nature, Steve? Like how difficult is it to find that consistency across the board every game, every night? Yeah, I think it is human nature. You're right, Eric. You hit the nail on the head with that. Um, I believe in the past 10 years or so since I've been out, they've been trying to – you know, get that consistency on more on a, on a, on a uh, staff-wide 
refereeing wise, there's always points of emphasis. There's always um, things that the referee in the leagues and by rules they want called. Now, are people people interpreted differently? Certainly. I mean, there's no doubt in my mind, and I know when I was refereeing, you would put plays up during meetings and referee meetings. Is this a block or a charge? And there were times that there would be 50-50. There were times it would be 25-75. Not everybody's going to be on the same page and seize the play because it's subjective. I mean, it's subjective to how you interpret the rule, how you interpret the contact at that time, and also subjective to the at that moment to the angle that the referee has on the play. So, uh, Eric, you and Jonesy might have the best angle because you've seen the replay. The first thing I do in the replay center is to look at where the official who made the call or didn't make the call where he was at the time. Um, but, no, it is, it is definitely human nature that not everybody is going to be uh, 70-some referees aren't going to call each game the same way. What you would really want is consistency within that game. And I think that's where when you get to be a more veteran official, you're aware of what's happening in the game and, your other, and you bring your crewmates along to say, like, okay, is this game getting a little more physical? We have to tighten it up, whatever it may be. And let's be consistent within our calls where you just don't want to hand check down one end and you have, you know, I mean, crazy contact on the other end. So consistency within the game is probably more than what I would want as an official. Uh, as an overall staff, it's going to vary. There's no doubt. Steve, um, you talk about the replay center, which I think has been a really, really great uh, innovation. Uh, and, and you know, you, you said some things that really, really resonated with me. Uh, in terms of a player and his reputation, you were talking about a, a guy like a Grant Hill who doesn't say much. And I, when I was a principal at, the, at a school, when they sent the nicest kid in the school down to the office, it's like, yeah, you better pay attention. Something's going on here. This is not normal. My feeling, and I don't know how you guys look at this, and who has more of a say between the guys that are on site and the replay center. My feeling is if there's that controversy between the coach or a player and there's a review and the referees see A and the team sees B, then both of you step back and let the replay center decide where it comes from, kind of like an independent arbitrator. Or how much do you really have to consider what the guy is experiencing or, or the, 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 the girl is experiencing emotionally at the arena on that night? Because there are sometimes I look at it, it's like, man, that's going to be overturned. And it's not. And I think, oh, boy, what did I miss? Yeah, no, no, great, great, uh, great, great point there. I would say on a couple levels here, number one, um, the officials on the floor and in the replay center, obviously there are guidelines in which the officials on the floor will be the sole judge. And then there's other situations where the official in the replay center will be the sole judge. But that doesn't mean that they're, they are not talking with each other at the same time, regardless whose final decision it is. In the replay center, you have, as they're replaying the play for the officials on the floor, and as the replay center official, even if it's his, uh, his or her responsibility to uh, make the call, the final decision, they're communicating back and forth. What do you see? What do you see? Do you have another angle? What do you think about this angle? What do you think about that? Did the contact occur prior? Whatever it may be. So there is constant you know, communication back and forth. The time that, with regard to, say, flagrant foul, unsportsmanlike conduct, that type of play, I, I have a hard time, even though there is communication with the replay center, the on-court on crew chief is the one usually that makes that decision with regard to, you know, flagrant fouls, hostile acts, unsportsmanlike conduct. 
And I like that because even though he's getting some input, he has the feel of what's going on in the court. He has the feel of what players have been, you know, doing for most of the game, the matchups. He has a feeling of who he has warned prior to this and so on. So when it comes to certain situations, um, it's good that the on-court official has the, uh, is the sole judge for it. But there is, when I'm there, there's always constant communication. So you do have input at all levels. Steve, I was right for looking at the clock 10 minutes ago. We are, we are up against it, so we're going to have to get you back sometime. Uh, need no you back, doubt about Steve. it. No need doubt about back. it. We've got to get you back on here. It'd be, no, it'd be my pleasure, guys. I love talking about it because I think people who are interested in it and, and the fans who want to hear about it, maybe it's a different way of them looking at the game the next time they see it. Uh, well, Steve, and, and, and the I'll... other thing, the other thing we clearly have to get into sometime too is, is Steve, the fact that every NBA official hates Toronto and wants to see Canada lose, right? I mean, that's that's what I hear all the time. <laughs> hey, 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 that's every I, that's every city I went to in my exactly. career, brother. It, it, it is that I've done it at a at a I've done it at even at a bitty ball level, and and I can't tell you anything that is more difficult around the game uh, you know making a pull-up jump shot yeah not, that's, that's nothing compared to <laughs> watching to see if the guy took steps or he was fouled on the way up or was it a continuation or was there a push did the ball go in before the foul or uh, just steve you guys <laughs> yeah, I think, whatever they I think bit, whatever they pay you it's bit, not enough yeah I think Betty basketball is harder than the NBA. <laughs> yes, <laughs> yes, it is. Oh, oh. All right. Thanks, Steve. Thanks, Steve. Hey, guys. Thanks for having me. Have a great day. You too. There's uh, Steve Javi, 25 years <laughs> in the NBA uh, as an official and uh, now officiating analyst with ABC ESPN. He's right because in Biddy Ball, the kids don't know the rules all the time. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like I, I ref the Biddy Ball game once and they were playing full court. And they won the kid team A won the jump ball. The kid got the ball and laid it in the side basket because that's all he'd ever known. That was always the basket he shot at. Did you count the bucket? <laughs> no, we gave them the ball back. We said, "Kid, you got to do it over there." And he and he started crying. <laughs> <laughs> Folks, make sure you subscribe to Smith and Jones wherever you get your podcast. Please rate and review and share as well. Back with more in a moment. Back on Smith & Jones, Eric Smith, Paul Jones with you. Subscribe to Smith & Jones wherever you get your podcast. Please rate and review as well. Um, I mentioned this briefly, Jonesy, in the first hour. wanted to just uh, give it a little more attention. Uh, there was a post yesterday on social, social media on the Bleacher Report uh, talking about the WNBA and it's been a you know it's been a discussion that we've gotten into a number of times uh, over the course of the last few months or so. Uh, in, in in terms of just the league, the profile, the spotlight on the league, the rise of the league, we've been clearly talking a lot about uh, women in sport over the course of the last few months, whether it be Olympic games, whether it be uh, women's hockey and, and soccer as well, and the importance of uh, females in sport and. You know, being role models for not just young girls, but for young boys as well, for young athletes in general. Quote came out yesterday, uh, it's hard to have the best league in the world when we're not treated like the best athletes in the world. And in that post on Bleacher Report, and you look at the comment section, and who pops up? Champagne Poppy, Drake, who said, bring a team to Toronto. We will show you how it's done. 
I shared that with my son, and, and we were chatting about things. And here's another. I'm, I'm full of bold predictions here today, Jonesy. Not that they mean anything unless I'm actually right. I truly believe in the next five years or less, Toronto's got a WNBA team. Like I honestly oh, yeah. believe five years or less, this city will have a WNBA team. And I'll say again, I don't have a whole lot, but... If I uh, if if they want a piece of my money, I'll I'll step up. I don't know if it equates to one percent or or t- a tenth of a percent, but I'll I'll step up with my with my money. I've been trying to bring another NBA franchise back to Canada. You know, you, me, and and Jacko, I think we're in for fifty each. So we got one fifty. We just need somebody come el- else to come up with the other, you know, seven hundred and fifty million or <laughs> whatever it's going to cost. It doesn't cost that much in the WNBA. Still still pricey. Certainly not anything you and I can afford. But I'd be willing to put my money in because I, I, I think it would be a, a home run in this city to have a WNBA franchise, and I truly believe it's coming five years or less. It's an easy call. Yeah, I, I believe that. And I know for a fact there were people that uh, looked at it probably 2012, 2011, 2012, 10 years ago, and they yep. – they didn't. It, it didn't make sense at that time. It does now, and it's going to be here. And I, I, I got about the same timeline within five years, and it'll be a success. I mean, the other part of it too is you have to look at the fact that they play uh, in the season that's against or not in direct competition with the NBA season, and that's. I think that's very smart. I mean, it it limits their time, unfortunately, but. You know, you start small, at least start slow. Maybe it grows a little bit more, but it's 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 a time when uh, they can get the focus. They're not competing with a whole lot of other stuff, um, you know, it, until they get towards the back end of their season and they're near a championship that some other things are starting up. So I think so, too. I, I and and to the to the to the comment, um, I, it, you know, I think they need to throw more money at it. That, and I know everybody says, well, that's easy, easy to say, but um, if you have the resources, things get a lot easier. You know, you're right, Jonesy. You're right. Um, what did I say earlier uh, in the show as well? You know, to, to, to make, you got to spend. And, and I think that's yeah. uh, basically what you're just saying right there as, as it relates to the WNBA. And, and I still think it would be a, an absolute no-brainer here. And uh, I think it would be a big success because you're right. There's not as much competition for the dollar um, in the summertime. But either way, I think it's not necessarily always about that, too. I think people just enjoy the game, period. And and I, I think it's going to have clearly its honeymoon phase, too, where it's new and it's fresh. But I think because of the popularity of the sport in general and how many um, people are playing the sport here, not just boys but girls as well. I think that it's going to be uh, something that, that would be a, an absolute no-brainer. I wish I had more money to be able to throw at it and be more of a serious player in it. As I say, you know, jokingly tongue-in-cheek uh, that I'd put my money up for, for ownership. Uh, I would, and I will, uh, but I don't think I've got anywhere near enough. Um, I guess we could kind of dig into that a little bit right now, but we can get into a whole lot more as the NBA is back, returning tonight with seven games the final third, essentially, of the season, the final 25 games, basically, for most teams in the league, and to discuss a whole lot around the association. I always love chatting uh, with Mitch Lawrence, host on NBA Radio on Sirius XM. Mitch, thanks for the time today. Hey, guys. How are you? Thanks for having me on. Uh, All good, well, Mitch. Mitch. Doing well. 
Hey, Good. Mitch, um, we, we were just talking about the, the WNBA and, and, and both Jonesy and I, the, the, the bold prediction, we think, uh, with, with no, no real ground to stand on other than just our gut. I think it's coming here. We both think it's coming here in the next five years or less. Um, you've got the, you know, you're based in New York and, and a New York guy watching the Liberty, I'm sure, over the years from time to time and, and knowing the league as you do. Uh, are, are we wrong for thinking that the, that the league um, not only needs to expand, should expand, and coming into Canada and coming into this market in Toronto would be an absolute no-brainer? Oh, I think it'd be an absolute no-brainer. I think there's been plenty of support up there. I think the league should expand. It's real hot. I think it would be a great addition to Toronto. Hmm. Uh, so do we, Mitch. Um, I want to I, I want to ask you about uh, the the last third of the season here, and the Chris Paul bombshell that hit everybody on All Star Weekend. I, I'm going to be watching the Suns closely tonight. I know it's Oklahoma City, but just to look at the way they play, their style of play, uh, you know, giving us an insider window into what they do without him. Uh, how much does this hurt them? Because it's not just this, Mitch, the end of the season. When he comes back, how long? the question is, how long does it take him to get back to Chris Paul that was leading this team? What, what does this do, to you, in your eyes, to their, their chances of a championship? Well, when I first heard it, and I think uh, ever since then, I'm thinking their chances might be done. Um, of course, it remains to be seen how long he's out. Remains to be seen who they have to play, let's say, in the playoffs and uh, if they have to play without him for any stretch. But you're talking about a guy who makes all the difference in the world for them in terms of being, you know, it's like a car. The engine drops out where you're going. He's their leader. Their late-game offense, which is the best in the NBA when you watch him, they basically put people away with great stretch runs in the closing minutes of games. It's he and Devin Booker. Um, and his leadership for that team is just some that, you know, just look at it and go, this is, a, this is a team that cannot afford to miss Chris Paul for any stretch, and it's going to be a long one, and they don't have the people who can step in. Everybody talks about stepping up and guys who are going to have to step up their play. That's going to be impossible because he, what's, what he brings to that team. Um, so, yeah, I think, um, you know, it's going to be fascinating to see how they deal with this. I mean, it's really unfortunate. Now, part of me also says, well, look at all the great fortune they had in getting to the finals last year. They ran into the Lakers. Anthony Davis got hurt. LeBron was compromised. Jamal Murray in the next round for Denver was out. They go play the Clippers in the finals. They don't have Kawhi Leonard. So they earned getting to the finals. Don't get me wrong. They had a great finals with Chris Paul there for the first time. But when they got to the finals, we were up 2-0. And then the injury to Chris Paul settled, and that hurt. So I don't know if it's the basketball gods getting back at them, which would be pretty cruel because it's a franchise still looking for their first NBA title. They've only been to the finals a couple of times. But, yeah, I'm looking at it like you. This is going to be a devastating blow to them. And, you know, I don't know if it's going to cost them the best record overall going down towards the end of the season. But, yeah, I mean, they're much more vulnerable without Chris Paul. So that, to me, is one of the biggest stories, um, along with, obviously, what's going to happen in uh, Brooklyn and Philadelphia with their new additions. Mitch, a bunch of what you just said leads me perfectly to where I wanted to go in a couple of different fronts. Um, uh, you talked about stepping up. You just mentioned the, the, the team, the name, the Brooklyn Nets as well. So I'm tying it all into one big long-winded question here. I thought, and it's all a moot point now because he's part of the Nets. I thought when we factored in uh, the injury for, for Chris Paul, the vacancy in a starting guard position, I thought it made a whole heck of a lot of sense, both personally and professionally, 
for Goran Dragic to maybe go back to Phoenix, a team he once played for, and probably, or at least potentially, step into a starter's role and a significant role on the number one team in the NBA and maybe try and take those reins and step up, as we were just talking about, in the in the absence of Paul. Instead, he opts to go to Brooklyn. I'm not sitting here saying it's a bad choice, but why is this a good choice for Dragic and a good fit for the Brooklyn Nets? Well, he obviously feels comfortable with Steve Nash. As you know, Steve Nash and he played together in Phoenix, what, 12 years ago. Um, so he felt very comfortable. He never, I guess Phoenix was never in the discussion, which kind of really doesn't surprise me because I think they were going to try to handle things internally between moving Devin Booker over to play some point, Alfred Payton's there, you've got campaign there, you've got Aaron Holiday there. Not to say any of those guys are going to replace Chris Paul. But I think that's the way they were going to look at it. Now, in terms of Dragic, I guess he looked at the Clippers in Milwaukee as his next best case uh, choices after Brooklyn. But I think with Brooklyn, it gives him an opportunity. He thinks, look, if you look at that team and he's thinking Kevin Durant's going to be coming back, they're going to have a revamped defense with Ben Simmons. They're going to have Steph Curry with uh, Andre Drummond. Andre Drummond gives them some size that they definitely need in the middle because they were thin there, uh, a little undersized. And then, obviously, uh, if Kyrie, if the New York vaccine mandate uh, is changed, is lifted, and Kyrie becomes a full-time player, on paper anyway, the Nets look like a really good team, like maybe a championship contender. Well, of course, we know how everything has to come together, and people have to avoid injury and off-court stuff with Kyrie and on and on and on. But I think that's what Dragic looks like. But it really starts with his relationship with uh, Steve Nash, and that put them over the top in terms of getting Dragic. Well, um, it, it's it's funny that he would, well, opt for them. Uh, Vegas still has them as a favorite, Mitch, to win win the win the title. Brooklyn, what 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 am I missing? One, because we know those guys, those people out there, are not always that far off. I mean, they, it's like they they are always in the ballpark when it comes to that. And and secondly, what about the team that they made the deal with, Philadelphia? I mean, Embiid has been on a tear. And how is that team going to change with James Harden handling the ball? James Harden's not going there to stand in the corner and let somebody else handle the ball. No, he's going to handle the ball. That's what Daryl Morey wants, but he's going to want him to get the ball to Joel Embiid. We'll see if he screws that up and derails Joel Embiid's march to his first MVP. And, of course, James Harden's been an underachiever in the playoffs. He's had a lot of really bad playoff moments. His playoff... Uh, history has been one of, you know, disappearing, messing up. Uh, you know, he's, he's got a lot to overcome to change that narrative. Now, in terms of Brooklyn, what are people looking at? They're looking at a team that, you know, if you have Kevin Durant and these other pieces and you've improved your defense, because let's face it, it looks to be a better, better basketball team than they had with going totally with offense with Harden, Irving, and Kevin Durant. I think what everybody's still missing the boat on is Milwaukee. A defending championship team with a player like Giannis Antetokounmpo, an excellent big three who proved themselves last year, who now have the you know, knowledge of what it takes to win. That means so much for these teams that finally make the breakthrough after years of failure. Uh, they're going to be tough to beat in a seven-game series because, unlike any other team in the East, they've done it and they know how to get it done. And so I think that's where people are missing out now. I rate Milwaukee one. If everything breaks right for Brooklyn and Steve Nash is able to get them going, it's going to have to happen on the fly. Not saying it will, but just on paper, they look like a very formidable team. 
And I just don't know if, you know, Philly might have given up too much to get Harden by sending off Curry and um, especially Seth Curry. I think they're going to miss in terms of extra shooting. But you're coming back to your original point. Yeah, James Harden's not standing in any corner. James Harden is going to be controlling the ball. But what they have to do is get make sure that Joel Embiid is still the featured player. And we'll see how Harden does with that. Speaking with Mitch Lawrence, host on NBA Radio on Series XM. Uh, Mitch, l- let's let's stay in the Eastern Conference for a second. And, and listen, I'm not I'm not going to hold you to this. I'm not going to hold you to every single seed. We're not going to go one through ten. And I'm going to say Mitch Lawrence said on February 24th. But Mitch, how do you think this is going to play out? Because it seems like unless Washington does something or the Knicks, I suppose, to put themselves back in the mix, it seems like we know or we have a pretty good sense of who the ten teams are going to be. But it's a matter of where are they going to slot themselves. Like if Toronto has visions or aspirations of being in the top six, who's going to fall out? Assuming Brooklyn jumps back into the top six, which I think they will, who falls out? So how do you see this shaking out in terms of those that are locked in versus those that are going to be in that play-in? Well, I think a candidate to fall out would be Cleveland. Cleveland doesn't, you know, Darius Garland's got a back problem. Now Karis LeVert is hurt again. It's the same right foot that he injured back when he was with the Nets about four years ago. That cost him two and a half months. He has a hard time staying on the court. They've done a good job already, a really good job, with the Colin Sexton injury and the Ricky Rubio injury. Will these other injuries catch up to them? They might be a candidate to fall. I don't think Miami's going to fall. I think Chicago's going to fall. Philly shouldn't fall unless this Harden thing is a total disaster. I don't think Milwaukee's going to fall, and Boston's been playing great. So I think the candidate, candidate number one candidate would be Cleveland. I don't think Toronto moves up um, as well as they've been playing. I think you're right if there is a team that moves up is Brooklyn. But let's remember something. Brooklyn, even as an eight seed, <laughs> you imagine if it's a Miami-Brooklyn first round, let's say Brooklyn becomes the eight seed through the play-in. Uh, that would be an unbelievable first round. But um, what I look at, guys, is it always comes down to who has the premier players, the elite talent. Um, and, you know, it's always, for me, guys who are MVP quality players. So Milwaukee's got Giannis. Kevin Durant in Brooklyn, if he's healthy, is obviously that type of player. You'd have to slot in after that a guy like Joel Embiid. And these other teams, to me, really don't have those players. I'm not a believer that Jimmy Butler's on that level. I'm not a believer that DeMar DeRozan's on that level. I'm not a believer that Jason Tatum is on that level, Piasco, Siakam, and on and on. So to me, it's still the big the heavyweight teams are the teams that feature the top players like Kevin Durant, Giannis Antetokounmpo, and those are the ones who are really going to be left standing. What, what do you, Mitch, what do you figure with teams, and I'm looking at the two at the top right now, Miami and Chicago, as you put it, you didn't put Jimmy Butler or DeMar DeRozan on that level, but in terms of team play, and we saw it here in Toronto. Yeah, Kawhi Leonard was there uh, in, in, in the playoffs, I guess, in the finals to help put them over the top. Uh, but, man, it was a real team effort. Uh, otherwise, can, can a team, and I do mean team effort like you get in Miami or Chicago, can they overcome a Philly, a Milwaukee, somebody like that? possible not probable in the seven game series Miami doesn't have enough big men size uh you know that's their problem Adebayo is not going to be able to match up they won't match up with Giannis if they have to play him in the playoffs 
they, Chicago, does, to me, doesn't have a backline defender in a guy like Vucevic. That's going to be a problem for them. Could we have a situation where you get a, a, a run to a finals like the 4 Pistons without a real, you know, big-time elite star superstar? I guess it's possible. But the chances are that I think a Milwaukee or Brooklyn will emerge, or maybe Philadelphia if Embiid is like that. But those are my assessment of the top two teams is, yeah, they're really good regular season teams um, that could finish one, two in the regular season. But in the playoffs, Miami's going to have problems with a bigger team, more physical team, especially if Milwaukee gets Brooke Lopez back. And Chicago, I think, is going to have also problems along the same way. And the thing I, I worry about is, like, who's going to close games in big spots for Chicago? Is it going to be a guy like Zach Levine, who's really got no playoff experience? Is it going to be DeMar DeRozan? who has had some playoff failures, and I'm sure he'll be thinking about, hey, you know what, I've had a great regular season, but it's now time for me to do it in the playoffs against these teams. Um, Yeah, so those teams to me have some definite flaws, especially when they're going to encounter a defending champion Milwaukee team or a team like Brooklyn. If Kevin Durant's playing at an MVP finals level, very hard to match up with those guys. As Wayne Embry always says to people, you have to overcome, you have to beat greatness. Can those teams beat greatness? I don't know. I don't think so. Speaking with Mitch Lawrence, host on NBA Radio and Sirius XM. All right, Mitch, speaking of greatness, uh, I mean, at least in today's NBA, it doesn't get a whole heck of a lot better or greater, I suppose, than LeBron James. But that said, the Lakers themselves have not been great. We can't seem to get through a conversation, Jonesy and I, without discussing the Lakers at some point, Mitch. 27-31, and 31, ninth in the West, without Anthony Davis, with all the other issues going on in L.A., how high do they rise? How difficult is their final 24, 25 games of the season going to be? Well, it depends when Anthony Davis comes back. Um, the other thing you have to factor in is Russell Westbrook. Is he ever really going to start playing out there and being effective instead of being a detriment? And LeBron James seems like he has one foot out the door on his way to Cleveland. I mean, you heard him over All-Star Weekend talking about, you know, he hasn't closed the door on that, meaning a return to the Cavaliers. Where is his heart? Where is he invested? Uh, does he want to be a Laker? Uh, all that stuff comes into play. Um, I love the fact that when somebody asked him about the two All-Stars the Cavs had, he said, yeah, and the third one is me. So, like, what's the deal? And, you know, LeBron, when, it, when things are starting to go bad on the team he is, he's starting to look elsewhere. That's him at his mercenary best. So we'll see. I mean, he's a Laker now. I don't know how high they can rise. I still assume they're going to be a playing team. Portland's probably going to fall some more. Don't believe in the Spurs. Pelicans will be better with C.J. McComb, you would figure. So that gives the Lakers a little bit of a cushion. Even if they make the first round, they're going to beat a Phoenix team or they're going to beat the Golden State Warriors. I don't see that. It'll be two years in a row that LeBron flames out in the first round, which was, you know, hey, that's what happens when you, you know, you, you got Anthony Davis who's always hurt and you are the one wanted to bring in Russell Westbrook. LeBron's fingerprints are all over the roster changes in L.A., and this is sometimes what happens. You know, he has a great track record for putting together all-star records. When it comes to regular season records lately, not so much. How much does he wear, Mitch, of that? And, and you, you know, I wanted to go there, and you kind of mentioned it. Um, LeBron wields so much power, maybe too much power, as a player, and maybe that's, you know, we, we hear the stories. Maybe that's why things kind of went sideways in Miami because Riley said, no, 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 you work right. for me. You right. you work for me. Mm-hmm. Uh, how much of that does he wear in L.A.? And, like, is it fair that he, as you said, puts his fingerprints on that, it goes south, and he takes his hands off and says, I'm out of here? 
Well, yeah, it's not fair, but I mean, that's the way it is. That's what you sign on for when you bring LeBron on. I mean, the Lakers, this is what they bargained for. This is what they signed on for. They're desperate to win a title in the post-Kobe Bryant era. Uh, they had an ability to get LeBron. And so when you take LeBron James on, you have to realize you've got a lot of, there's a lot of upside. You might get back to the finals. You won a title in the bubble, which is fine. That's great. But when there are bad times and there are decisions to be made involving the roster, LeBron James is going to tell you, I want certain players. I don't want draft picks around. He's not into drafting and development. And so you do a lot of stuff for the short term to, uh, to, to please him. You always want to keep him happy. You don't want him to, you know, go out and complain, which he just wanted to do. So that's, that's just the deal that, uh, that's the, that's the, that's the deal that they made to get him. And now they have to live with it. And he wanted Russell Westbrook over guys like DeMar DeRozan. So, yeah, I mean, uh, it's, 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 it's not fair, but that's the way when you do business with LeBron, that's the downside of it. And um, he has to call to account, but it doesn't phase him or it doesn't ruffle his feathers at all. Hey, Mitch, we appreciate you joining us today. Thanks for this, and uh, we'll look forward to speaking down the road. All the best. Thanks, Guys, Mitch. Appreciate it. Thank you. See ya. There is Mitch Lawrence uh, from NBA Radio on Sirius XM. And, and Jonesy, I, I will admit, um, not that I didn't think about it, but perhaps I didn't put enough thought into it or enough juice behind it when LeBron made those comments on the weekend. Because Mitch bringing it up now, I mean, heck, we're here on Thursday. You and I haven't discussed it at all this week. And, again, maybe that speaks to, uh, and I say this you know, respectfully, maybe Mitch is thinking too much of it. Maybe we're guilty of not thinking enough of it when LeBron talked about Cleveland. I honestly did not believe that that was necessarily a sign of him maybe trying to eventually leave L.A. and go back to Cleveland again. Like, am I wrong to think how that would be beyond bizarre? Because I know we did discuss. I can't even remember. Was it was it yesterday? Who who were we talking to? Where we were discussing, you know, the fact that LeBron. Well, maybe it was maybe it was with uh, with, with Bob in our other conversation where LeBron, you know, leaves and then comes back and then leaves. Could he actually come back a third time? Like the only way I see him coming back a third time is if it's via what we discussed earlier in the week, where he is on the record as saying, "I am playing with Bronny. my son." Period. I am going yeah. to play with Bronny. But otherwise, really, like, I don't know. I guess never say never, but going back a third time, I, I, I think I, I don't is, see it. Yeah, I, I can't. And, and, and yeah? I think Cle- Cleveland needs to be wary of, uh, you know, the the statement that that Mitch just made, the the commentary that Mitch just made. Sometimes the price of doing business with LeBron. Oh, yeah, you take LeBron on and he says, okay, we need to make all these moves so we can win. And you think, like, yeah, you know, you you invest your money and all of a sudden the project goes belly up. Like, And, and the Lakers won that championship in the bubble, which was, to me, I, as much as LeBron's trying to say, oh, it was the toughest championship, it, I, 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 the more I look at it, the more I say no. It was... It was a different championship. It certainly wasn't the toughest. How can he say it was the toughest? They had two of the best players in the world on the same team. And there was no travel, no hostile environments, no there, – there was nothing. There, like, you well, know? And as much as you had to fire the, the, the engine back up, the engine also got a lot of rest. 
<laughs> right? Like, absolutely. It, it absolutely. depends on which lens you look at it through. You either well rested and recuperated, and yes, mental toughness and mental fatigue was there for, for, for them, just as it was for every human that dealt with and is still to this day dealing with COVID. But you also had a chance to rest those weary bones and bodies and then come up firing on all cylinders, to your point, with no travel, with no fans, with no hostility with a healthy team, et cetera. So there was a whole lot working in their favor, no doubt about it. Well, and, and E, my point is you got to be careful because you're right. Mitch is right. Like there have been two um, very average to below average seasons in Los Angeles uh, where they didn't come close to what they expected. And do you – I don't know anybody that wouldn't take them on, but are you careful when you're doing business – with LeBron, particularly when, let's face it, I think he has other agendas. He's trying to, he's in the conversation for best player ever to play the game. He knows he doesn't have as many MVPs as Michael. He knows he doesn't have as many, you know, rings as Kobe or Michael. Like all, all of those things, um, you know, give him some other mot- motifs to say, this is what we need to do to get a title. And under the cloak of that is, I need that title for my legacy too. Uh, you're 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 right about that. You are right about that, Jonesy. Um, I guess we don't have to worry about it this year. Next year, uh, a couple of years from now, I, I I guess maybe I don't know. Maybe this is going to whet my appetite a little bit here. Maybe I'll maybe this will start to to tease and tantalize me too. Because all I've been thinking about is the brawny angle. But if we're, if we're now looking at potentially two different angles, okay, here's the other thing too. Hold on. Now I'm, now I'm getting into like the, I don't know if this is fantasy trade or if this is just like soap opera script writing. What if he goes back to Cleveland, but then leaves Cleveland again because Bronny's not in Cleveland. And he said, I'm playing my last year with Bronny. So could you imagine he goes back a third time, but he leaves a third time because he goes somewhere else to finish the career with Bronny. The only way to keep him there was after his career, like if he does that, the only way to keep him there is let him buy the team. <laughs> like give, him, I guess give, him some, so, yeah. give him give him ownership and then like he'll always it's like the ankle monitor. He'll always be tied to Cleveland no matter where he is. It's probably true. 